Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Gather Round, the podcast series sharing stories from Aberdeen Archives, Gallery and Museums. In this festive episode, Karen Henderson, Museum Assistant, talks about Aberdeen's poor houses at Christmas, inspired by Proviskeen's house. As Christmas approaches, the classic tales written by Charles Dickens, such as A Christmas Carol and Oliver Twist, for many of us become our seasonal favourite reads or must-watch movies. Each year seated around the television, my family and I would gasp in horror or sob in heartbreak as Scrooge in anger and disgust proclaimed how the poor and destitute were burdens on society And when asked for charitable donations, he refused by saying his wealth would only support prisons and workhouses. In fact, so great was his dislike of the needy. He goes on to say that if paupers refuse to go to the workhouses or poorhouses, then it'd be better they die and decrease the surplus population. While the scene of Oliver begging for more gruel, two pierced I and my family's hearts. These books and films influenced people's beliefs then and now in how poor houses were run and how the poor experienced them. But how much truth do these stories actually carry? So, did workhouses or pauper houses here in Aberdeen and within Scotland actually save more people than oppress them? Let's look at the origins of Aberdeen's poor houses. In Aberdeen, we can trace the origins back to 1636 when a house of correction, Popper House, was founded by Provost Alexander Jaffrey from a patent granted by Charles I. The house of correction housed 20 people then, 10 deemed poor, and 10 more that were sent there as a punishment, most probably for begging within the city's boundary. During the years between 1636 and 1844, The relief of the poor was administered and controlled under the old poor law. This meant wealthy landowners and the Kirk Sessions held responsibility for aiding the needy or those sick and unable to work. However, increasing urbanisation at this point, along with other social and economic pressures, meant that a change in the law was introduced to help those in poverty. And by 1845, The new poor law was introduced into society and now the responsibility of aid and paupers fell to parochial boards administered at parish level. This law led to new poor houses being built within Aberdeen. St Nicholas, Old Macker and Old Mill all catered for paupers seeking relief from poverty, ill health and destitution. The numbers of paupers and the relief granted to them differed from building to building, however. Old Mill lodged a staggering 961 inmates and St Nicholas 382, while by 1849 Old Macker Workhouse accommodated up to 47 inmates, but by 1853 200 paupers resided within its walls or sought door relief. Door relief was meted out as a small sum of money handed to individuals or families dependent on whether they were deemed deserving by the poor house guardians or boards. Attitudes concerning the deserving and undeserving poor meant many people would have been left in dire straits. 
Those who visibly showed disabilities or were bedridden through illness and infirmity would most probably have been given some type of door relief during their lives. However, those considered to be idle or feckless would have been turned away, threatened with banishment or worse, imprisoned. During this period, other types of refuges were available to some within society. Within the gastro area of Aberdeen, one of these establishments, known as a lodging house, provided a roof over paupers' heads. Its owner, Elizabeth Duthie, in 1878, leased her inherited home, known today as Proviskeen's House, to the Aberdeen Lodging Society. It was renamed the Victoria Lodging House, most probably after Queen Victoria and it lodged up to 75 men until it closed in 1931. One local famous destitute from this type of refuge was known as the Tabby King. During the 1940s, he was often seen scouring the streets looking for discarded cigarettes while in between lodgings. I'm assuming he sold these cigarettes on to help him pay his way. These institutions, ran by guardians and boards, were believed to be cheaper to run than giving out handouts. The building's architecture were often stark, prison-like, but roomy enough to accommodate the large numbers who sought poor relief during the Victorian period. Daily life within the poorhouse was strict, with routines carried out. For men, their duties included nine full hours per day of stone-breaking, cutting wood to domestic and agricultural chores. Women too had to work hard in order to pay the workhouse back for their board and lodgings. They did an array of domestic chores, from knitting stockings, laundry work, to assisting in the kitchens. Sundays were the pauper's day of rest. After church, many would make their way to their daily appointments to see their children. Supervised by staff, only one parent was allowed access to see their child or children. Children and young people were kept in separate wings. Here, if they were lucky, they would receive a basic education through attending an industrial school, usually linked with the poor house they resided in. The skills they accrued through tailoring, boot making, rope making and so forth made them employable in society's eyes. Scrooge would have been so proud. Gaining entry into the poor house wasn't as easy as imagined though. Inmates, as they were called, had to live within the area. Firstly, they had to see a relieving officer and beg for aid. Depending on the poor house or lodging, many would be given door relief and sent on their way. Others would be offered the workhouse or poor house accommodation. Here men, women, children would be separated, admitted officially, their details taken and given a medical examination. They would be bathed, deloused, and given a new set of workhouse clothing while the sick would be quarantined. Many paupers during this time were known as in and outs. Basically, they used the lodging and poor houses as free lodgings. Some were in and outs for a day, others weeks, months, and even years. Many, especially the sick and infirm, stayed the rest of their lives. It was the only way to access healthcare, food, safety and a roof over their heads. However, it was also 
easy to leave the workhouse, though it did indeed involve a lot of paperwork, which was often bemoaned by many of the workhouse supervisors. Paperwork was signed to prove persons had left and their ragged clothing was then returned. So, perhaps Dickens' tales on the workhouse or poorhouses now do not seem as grim as he portrayed in his books and serials. We know boys weren't just fed on watery gruel and an onion on a Sunday. This paltry meal was not, in fact, what the poor received. In many poor houses, most inmates were given at least three meals a day. For many, this would have been a feast to behold. Breakfast consisted of meal, broth and a pint imperial, while dinner was bread, a boiled meat, broth and again a light beer, while supper was usually a weak porridge, broth and ale. Young children were given milk, cheese, bread and sugar. But most surprisingly, the poor house rules which stated that no extra food was to be doled out to inmates on Christmas Day certainly brings some truth to Dickens' tale of cruel mistreatment meted out to paupers. Thankfully, this rule was mostly ignored by boards and governors though miserably Scrooge, I believe, would have been shuddering in horror at the expense wasted on what he believed were those who made up the lower classes, the idle, feckless, drunk and over-dependent on poor relief. But forget Scrooge's miserly views and let's enter into the spirit of Christmas and recall the image of the Victorian middle-class festivities. Television shows, books and cards portray well-to-do families attending their local church services where carols would be sung, then home to decorate the tree and wrap presents ready to be shared on Christmas Eve. We can imagine the smells of roast goose and mince pies wafting through the homes while later parlour games and eggnog are sipped near cosy fires. Oh, sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? Well, for most of society, this scene of Christmas was far from what they experienced. However, for many of the poor within pauper or lodging houses, their Christmas experience there may well have been one of the best celebrations they had ever had in their lives, or, unfortunately, a day like any other day in the poor house. But for those lucky enough to be treated well, they would have received a day of rest, which must have been wonderful for the weary men and women and children within these institutions. Most importantly, each person would also be allocated twice as much ration as food as normal. What an amazing treat that must have been. Can you imagine the fragrances seeping through the hallways from the kitchens as poultry, mutton or beef were roasted? I can visualise the rows upon rows of happy men, women and children seated in the dining halls, their tummies growling in anticipation of the feast that they are away to partake of, their eyes round in wonder as tray after tray of savoury meats and sweets like spice cakes and puddings are laid before them. To them, this would have been a feast fit for a king. There is even evidence of some poor houses decorating their dining halls with evergreen and berries, allowing carols and music to be sung and dances held. Presents too were often handed out thanks to gracious benefactors. Men received tobacco while ladies were given snuff. 
Children were given oranges and sweets and one pauper house boasts their child inmates enjoyed a magic lantern display. There is even evidence that Santa visited the poor house in some parishes, which makes my heart leap with joy. Oh, how I wish the poor of Aberdeen and refuges around the city and shire during this time period were some of these lucky individuals whose Christmas day was full of rounded bellies and festive cheer. I hope the children's smiles lit up rooms and their laughter rang through the halls. I hope families hugged and the lonely were cheered. Well, I must leave you here with these delightful images in your head and hope in your hearts that pauper houses were indeed places of refuge and hope for some. I want to wish all listeners a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year when it arrives. But please, we must remember, though society's views have improved on aiding those in need, there will still be people and families experiencing hardship this Christmas. Respond with kindness, as did Scrooge in the end of Christmas Carol. This, I believe, is the true spirit of Christmas. Thank you, Karen. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that it puts you in the Christmas spirit. Proviskeen's House now celebrates the pioneering people of the North East who have transformed the world. It is open seven days a week and admission is free. Please visit our website www.aagm.co.uk for festive opening times. Remember to hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from Gather Round.